All right, this is the Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. On today's show, Frankie Pellegrino Jr. from Rayo's, the legendary, impossible to get into Italian restaurant in East Harlem, New York. Been there since 1896. Uh, Frankie and I talk everything from pork chops to the uh, cast of characters at frequent Rayo's. Uh, he's got a new cookbook out, Rayo's Classics. And then I check in with Claire Saffitz from the BA Test Kitchen to talk about how to make BA's best eggplant parm. But right now, here's Frankie Pellegrino and I. Frankie Jr., welcome back to New York. Adam, it's a pleasure to be with you and a pleasure to be in our beautiful city. So for those who don't know, Rayo's is up on East 114th Street, about as about as far east as you can get without going into the East River. True. Up in East Harlem. And so you grew up there the entire time? I grew up on the south shore of Long Island in Oceanside. And I would always visit East Harlem frequently because that's where my father and mother were actually born. And the restaurant was there. So throughout my childhood, I spent a lot of time in East Harlem, uh, as well as the south shore of Long Island. And then what about your dad? So Frank Sr., did he, where did he grow up? He grew up in East Harlem. Okay. And then my grandparents, who lived in East Harlem, moved to Long Island. There was a big exodus after the war. Yeah, and you, you write about this in the book, all right? So your book, Rayo's Classics, which is interesting because you've got, obviously, the classic recipes, but you also give a, a backstory of, of the restaurant itself and New York City and how that neighborhood has changed and how Rayo's has stayed you talk about how you got started at Rayo's when you were a kid. Yes. What was East Harlem like in the 70s compared to what it is now? Night and day. Night and day. Um, and you got to understand that being, you know, 12, 13 years old, uh, romping around that city, um, it was utterly frightening. I mean, just the complete opposite of, you know, the suburbs. And the cast of characters that would be roaming around the neighborhood and and all that was going on. I actually remember, um, I must have been about 14 years old, and we're standing outside the restaurant around 5 o'clock, and there would be a line around Jefferson Park, which is right across the street from the yep. restaurant. And there would be people waiting on this line for hot dogs, but little did I know it wasn't hot dogs they were buying. They were buying some substances, but I mean, you'd see people in, you know, who suits, three-piece suits. I mean, it was just crazy. And yet Rayo's has sort of unwavered, and it's been around for over 100 years. Um, and it's a restaurant that, I, I don't want to use the word club, but it's almost as if there's a membership, you, you know? I, I, you can't just call and make a, make a reservation. No, it's kind of tough. I can't even get a reservation. <laughs> I have to, I only get to eat there when I work there and I invite my friends over later on at night and we cook and have some fun. Um, it, it's basically uh, a tribute to all of the people who supported the restaurant early on. on. I kind of call it squatter's rights. Uh -huh. So interestingly to this day, there are folks on a nightly, weekly basis that have been coming to the restaurant for well over three decades. So um, they were there supporting the restaurant back in the 70s, and they're still going to the restaurant today 
Um, there are people who have reservations, uh, steady reservations on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah, so it's and Friday. to break it down. So some people might have, I have like a table for four every Thursday night Correct. under my name. Other people might have a table once a month or once that, every few months. Correct. When did that start? What did, did, was there a time where you could just call and make a reservation? In the very beginning, uh, prior to 1977, mm-hmm. yes, it was a neighborhood jaunt, so to speak, and a saloon and a, a bar and grill. Did you say jaunt? Yeah. That mean like joint? Kind of. <laughs> yeah, I guess it does. It wasn't until Mimi Sheridan uh, wrote an absolutely stellar review uh, of the restaurant in 1977 and gave the restaurant three stars. In the New York Times. In the New York Times. And if you think back to that time, there were only two four-star restaurants back then. It was Le Cirque and La Tess, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then there was a, just a handful of three-star restaurants at the time out of 28,000 restaurants yeah. in the city back then. And I'm sure a lot of people are like, what the hell is Rayo's? Uh, believe it or not, yes, even till this day. Yeah. It's pretty remarkable. We fly under the radar and we kind of do things slow. At that point, you then wanted to make sure that the the, the loyal customers could get in and you, that's when you started to sort of assign them tables, so to speak, and yes. after Mimi's review? Yes. How can you tell somebody who's already been coming to the restaurant uh, for many years that, oh, no, we're so busy, I, yeah. you can't have your table? It doesn't work that way. Frank Sr. doesn't work that way. He's a loyalist and those who have supported us and were there for us. Um, no, you have, that's yours. All right. Now let, all right. So let's say I had a monthly table every Thursday night, third Thursday of the month is my table. If I want to give that to a friend one night, cause I'm out of town, can I do that? Absolutely. Let's say I give it to my friend Izzy, but Izzy's like a loud drunk guy and acts like a jackass. What happens the next time I come to the restaurant? We'll say, hey, Izzy was a very interesting fellow. <laughs> How long have you known him? <laughs> you may put yourself in jeopardy. Yeah. All right. How much of your day nowadays is spent dealing with people like me who are emailing or calling you going, hey, Frankie, can, 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 I, can you get me a table? Like, I got to take out some, some fellows. Like, yeah. And not as much as you think. Really? Um, because over the years, since I don't have a reservation and I can't get a reservation, I think I've been told no more than <laughs> any uh, patron that's aspired to come to the restaurant. Um, so people already know who know me that chances are I'm not going to be able to help you out. But um, generally speaking, I'll say to people who do request like, hey, if you're in town this week, I'm going to be there. If you want to come by, have a drink and you know, at the end of the night, we'll grab a bite to eat or something. All right. So I, I've been lucky to go a, a few times uh, with friends or, or associates who have a table or got a table, et cetera. Um, to paint the scene when you walk in, it's one room. How many, 12 tables or so where you actually sit? There's really 10. 10 tables. 10 and a quarter. It's a jovial place. It sure is. It's, it's vibrant. It's kind of a party every night. Once it's at full capacity and the bar's full and people are sitting down. And if you have a table, do you have the table all night? Yes, you do. So, so you're not turning any tables. Uh, at the end of the evening, there are some people who come earlier in the evening. Mm-hmm. The reservation's maybe at 7. And they wrap up around 9.30. So we have about three or four 9.30 reservations, oh. which are more or less allocated to folks who have like a quarterly reservation or what have you, or people such as yourself who may want to squeeze in. I think the last time you came to the restaurant, it was a 930 it, reservation. It very well could have been. Uh, I'm on the B team. I'll take the B team. I got, no, no there's no the B, B team. team. It's all <laughs> no A B team. team. Well, that's what's interesting. It's Rayo's, all A team. You guys, what you're phenomenally good at, and you particular, um, 
there is that level of intimacy. And I was at, we were at the, Ve- the Rayo's Vegas, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, and you do something there that, that is a tradition at Rayo's in Harlem that when you sit down, you turn a chair around and you personally sit down at the table with the guests. Yes. And, and you talk to them about, all right, guys, what do you, what do you like to eat? Here's what we got tonight. And, and you look at everybody in the eye, you ask questions, and there's that feeling as a guest that, you know what? It's going to be all good. Frankie's got us. He's taking care of us. All we have to do is sit back and enjoy ourselves. And that's a, that's a remarkable feeling to go out to dinner and have that experience. Because so often in New York, at these hard-to-get-into restaurants, you feel like you're apologizing the whole time. Like, oh, I'm sorry, but can I, can I get another glass of wine? Or you're, you feel like you're just lucky to be there. And while you are lucky to be at Rayo's, they don't make you, they don't make you feel that way. They make you feel like completely welcome. No, it's your restaurant just as much as it is ours. And you're in our home. I mean, I spent the last 34 years there. My father, close to 50 years. Um, It's all in the family. So it's an extension of your own home. And it's about hospitality. Ultimately, it's about hospitality. How long did it take you to learn that skill? Because you're you're a pretty low-key, easygoing West Coast guy. But you know how. But you also know how to turn on the charm. Like, who did you learn that from? You're far too kind. Um, <laughs> believe it or not, I was thrown into the fire. I started working at the restaurant when I was 12 years old, and from the time I was 12 until I was about. Mm, what were you doing? You like busting tables and stuff, or everything, uh, cleaning bathrooms, sweeping floors, washing dishes. Was Frank Senior like, listen, if you want to work here, you gotta you gotta put in the time? Oh, it wasn't a matter if I wanted to work there or not. <laughs> not at all. No, no, no. I came home from my last day of school in sixth grade. My father calls me down uh, stairs to his office, which was the kitchen table in my grandmother's house, and said, guess what, Frankie? I have some really good news for you. And I was excited. I was like, what? Going to camp? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Getting a uh, a new bike? Guess what? You're going to come to work with me. And I was like, oh, really? Well, what about my summer? He's like, no, no, no. You're going to come. You're going to have a good time. (laughs) Do you think he thought he was doing you a favor, or do you think he thought that he was going to show you some some tough some tough love and, and make a man uh, out of you? I grew up with tough love, period. <laughs> um, that's a hallmark of my uh, journey through life up until this point. I call it my indentured servitude, um, but I'm proud to serve people and share with people. But ultimately, my my experience at Rayos was more or less like an apprenticeship. Looking back, and particularly with the book here, I. I had a journey through from my childhood, even before I had the opportunity to work in the restaurant to the present day. And I have to tell you, it was a pretty emotional experience because it's not work. Yeah, I've been doing it so long. It's it's not work at all. It's but, part of my life. But when you first started, did it feel like work? How long did it take you as a twelve year old to realize, oh, this is actually pretty cool? Um, I didn't realize it was pretty cool till later on in life. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's interesting. It was always. Uh, I, I think what separated it, uh, what separated work from true enjoyment was the guests. And that's part and parcel of the opportunity to sit down with the guests, um, see what they're in the mood for to eat. Um, even before I was a server in the restaurant, um, you see people on a regular basis. You start to form relationships yeah. with them. And I think that, I mean, I would, I would have more anticipation about who was coming in that evening 
because I get to see them again. Yeah. And they always had shown an interest in, you know, what was going on in my life. Well, they, got, know, they got to see you grow up. Literally. Yeah, they did. Yeah. I, it was just an... And it still is an absolutely incredible experience. Did you go to college? Yes. Where at? I, I went to Connecticut State University. Hey, you wrestled or something? I, yeah, I had a scholarship there, but I got uh, booted from school. Those wrestlers are menacing, <laughs> menacing folks. Um, and then I went on to the School of Visual Arts where... Um, Here in Manhattan. Yeah, and I found uh, a really wonderful environment there, and I kind of blossomed. I, I was with people who... We're very similar to me. Yeah. I'm a little bit uh, unorthodox, to say the yeah. least. And you shot the photography in the book. Yes, I did. Yeah. I think, you know, a lot of us, we grow up and we don't want to be like our parents and we want to establish our own identity and, and lives and we sort of resist what they did. But but you did come around. And I said, what what triggered that? What made you think, okay, I'm, I'm good with this. I do want to be part of Rayo's. Ultimately, the people and my passion for our food. The people, the guests. Yeah. Let's talk about the guests because um, it's a cast of characters. Uh, some famous, some not. Some should be famous who aren't famous. Um, I, I remember my first time there. This was like ten, at least ten years ago, and the big center table. Um, it's like a table of eight or so, uh, of which were um, uh, Regis Philbin and Don Rickles, and that was. Just, I mean, it was like it was like you had front row seats to the show. I mean, Don Absolutely. was just playing the room. Regis is playing Don. <laughs> And it's like, you know, there's only 10 tables, so you're like basically all eating together. Yes, and and that's part of the magic of Rayo's because there's no barriers between the tables or the guests, and there's always this fluid interaction, um, regardless of who may be there, whether you're a celebrity or, you know, you're the local mailman, yeah. postmaster or what have you, you hear my girl on the jukebox, my dad starts singing and all of a sudden you're chiming in and then yeah, your dad, before and, you know and Frank it, Sr., who was yeah. a singer earlier in life, he will get up and sing to the room. Yes, yes. And it, it's a big icebreaker to say the least. You're at um, a big party, like a, there's a Neapolitan term, a banquet, which is a big old ruckus of a yeah. party. And... Uh, it's it's free flowing. What I love, there's a line in the book you talk about how Rayos is a sort of a microcosm of New York City that you know real estate is tough to come by. Everyone's tightly packed in there together, hard to get. But I also think what's interesting is there is that interesting cross section. You can go to Rayos and you could literally see the chief of police. You might see a very sort of liberal Hollywood star. You'll see the mayor. You'll see. Some fellows who, you know, of, of you're like, hmm, wonder what he does for a living. You'll see an athlete. It is, it, it's an interesting mix of people who would not normally ever be together, it seems. This is very true. And again, I think that eclectic mix of people only lends to the texture and patina of the experience of Rayos when you go there. Um, you get to see people as themselves, not as their personas. Yeah, the guard is it, down. Yeah, it's like they check their cloaks at the door, so to speak, when they come in. And at some point, even if you're wearing your armor, it kind of melts away. It evaporates because you're having a real experience. And as you've just said, you, <laughs> you see people being themselves and all of a sudden you forget about who you are. You become more interested in Who's that person over there? And oh wow, you know, who was who? Who was the first notable person you saw at Rayo's that really impressed you? You're like, oh my god, it's so and so. Um, I was a young boy, 
And I have to say, the first time I was starstruck was by Bill Murray. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, people forget to realize, you know, during like Ghostbusters era, Bill Murray was, there was, there was no one bigger, early yeah. 80s. I was like, oh my God. Believe it or not, he walked into the restaurant. He didn't have a reservation. <laughs> and did, did he just get behind the bar and start bartending? No, 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 <laughs> yeah. no, no, no. He actually stepped in while my father and aunt were bickering. Now, understanding the size of the room, um, everybody in the restaurant knew what was going on. And this was a bit of a heated moment. And it was like that E.F. Hutton commercial. When E.F. Hutton oh, yeah, speaks, like, yeah. everybody listens. You could hear a pin drop in the dining room. And there's this exchange going on between my father and my aunt. And Bill Murray just steps in the door. And he just is uh, rigidly standing there like, what did I just step into? And I'm the only one. Who, I'm like, hi, how are you? Okay. So it's like, uh, can I eat? It's like, uh, yeah, just give me a minute. <laughs> Let things settle down. Let's talk about the food. Um, the last time I was there, which is about six months ago, uh, had a really great meal, and I let you know that. Um, I, I, the, I thought the quality of the food was excellent. Um, and that's not always the case at some red sauce joints, which sort of rely a little bit too much on nostalgia and tradition instead of quality and nowness. How do you guys sort of calibrate that and maintain that? Well, my, my dad is the keeper of the kitchen, so to speak. But without question, our executive chef, Dino Gatto, um, is a terrific uh, leader uh, in that kitchen. It's kind of odd to say leader because it's more of a familial uh, rapport. In the Everybody's been in the restaurant, working in the restaurant for a minimum of a decade. I think Dino's been there for 20 years. So... Um, Everybody's very passionate about what they do. Um, they know what standard they have to meet. And everybody knows that we can't let anybody down. If anything, our, our bar is set higher. Um, and everybody's dedicated to maintaining the consistency and quality of the food. If you come there every week, generally speaking... Um, you're going to have the same dishes week in, week out. And if it's not the same as last yeah. week, you're going to let us know. And also the quality of ingredients. The quality of ingredients in America has changed a lot. You can now buy you know, heritage breed pork. Uh, you can get the grass-fed beef. You can get the really amazing dry-aged beef from everywhere. You know, Have you found that you've had to sort of up the quality of ingredients you're buying and food costs to maintain that sort of caliber of restaurant? Uh, that's a great question. Um, if I may, yeah. just plug the book for a sure. moment. The recipes in this book, even though they're classic, they're tried and true, because of the availability of ingredients and premium quality ingredients and what have you, we've altered some of these recipes to deliver the best results in your own home kitchen that 20 years ago, you would have to do a lot of work. So yeah. we've there's a lot of efficiencies that have been incorporated in here to maximize your cooking experience at home. But going back to the original question, you have to keep in mind, our butcher works in the restaurant, mm. okay? He's our broiler guy. He procures all of our meats, um, which are of the highest standards. Um, if they're not, guess what? There's, it's no good. <laughs> I told you, I, I was there last time when we had a veal chop with the peppers and stuff, and it was phenomenally good and phenomenally well prepared. It, it was like 
a few degrees just over medium rare. I mean, I was it was I was like, wow, that, they they nailed that one. Yeah, no, well, our our butcher and Dominic the butcher used to have a butcher shop on Second Avenue and a hundred and I think it was Eighteenth Street. And as a little boy before service, my aunt would send me over to Dominic's butcher shop to go pick up a veal clod or some pork chops or veal chops or whatever the case may be. Um, Dominic eventually came to work at the restaurant and he's an absolutely world-class butcher. Yeah. All right. Before we let you go, uh, Frankie, Frankie Jr. Do most people call you Jr.? They call you Frank, Frankie? Jr. Just Jr. Jr. Yeah. We're going to do our lightning round uh, where we ask you some either or questions. Okay. But you got to answer them. Uh, All right. Here we go. Um, Jeter or Mariano? Uh, Got to pick one. Mariano. Okay, veal chop or veal milanese? Veal chop. Veal chop. <laughs> you just you're like that's no, obvious. You're the dish that you referenced uh-huh. a moment ago is one of my favorite dishes. And occasionally, if our guests are amenable to it, uh, I fry an egg Ooh. and I put it on top of the veal. Chop. So if you're in Vegas, what is that dish called on the menu? Veal chop with cherry peppers, hot and sweet. Okay. And you can get it in Vegas? Yes, you can. Because you ain't getting into New York. So at least yeah, you can go to yeah, Vegas. Come to Vegas it. or LA. <laughs> Mots or parm? I'll go with Mots. How do you like your mozzarella? I like it more like buffalo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, smooth, creamy. Yeah. Um, with a little bit of salt. Olive oil. Definitely olive oil, basil. And you. It, Tomatoes. I was in Italy uh, two weeks ago. and Whereabouts? Naples. Okay. And um, I came home. Uh, it was just nonstop work. I didn't have time to eat dinner. And what I got do you back. mean nonstop work? Doing what? Who goes to Italy I, in August I, I, and works? I'm not allowed to disclose that <laughs> information. Not, I don't want to know. How, no, no, yeah. no. It was all good stuff. But um, I didn't have uh, an opportunity to eat dinner that evening. So I got back to the room and I had their late night menu. And it was very limited, but what they had was mozzarella and prosciutto and like a caprese kind of yeah. thing. I ordered it, came up to the room. I was in heaven. It was, uh, I hate to say this, like the best meal I had in yeah. Southern Italy. It, that's me. I'm simple. I'm the less is more yeah. kind of guy. Well, Italian food, I always think Italian food at its best is really good ingredients and don't do too much to it. Exactly. Let the ingredients And if you have sing. good buffalo mozzarella and good prosciutto and good tomatoes, and what's better? Great Italian bread. You can't go yeah. wrong. Frank or Dino? Both. <laughs> what do you mean? How can you, how, how, how can you choose one over the other? They had their differences, you know? Uh, they certainly did, but they were still friends. And <laughs> they, they, they left an indelible mark uh, on society. And uh, Italian sausage, sweet or spicy? Both. Okay, don't oh, come on. You... I'll tell you what. Yeah. When we, if, if you come to the restaurant yeah. and you have sausage and peppers, yeah. you get two sweet and one hot. Uh, I'm, I'm a sweet guy. The, the hot gives me heartburn. I understand. Okay, you know. Well, if you want all sweet, you yeah, got I it. Got, no but worries. I got to ask, though. No, yeah. I'll say hot yeah. and sweet or... Oh, okay. So you give me the option. Yeah. All right. Godfather 1 or Godfather Part 2? I, I, what? Yeah, there's a pause um, to our friends out there. Yeah. Um, a pause. Uh, both. But Godfather, I, they're both terrific. How can... Look, you I got, can't I, have I, one I, without I, the okay, other. Okay, no, you can't. Well, that's true. You couldn't have two... You could, a lot of people argue that two was a maybe a better movie in terms of... A, all that went on 
two could not have existed without one. You know? Yes, but it would, two was very, it was comprehensive. Mortadella or Soprasata? Mortadella. I actually, Saturday night, I was walking from 68th Street up to 96th Street. And I stopped at uh, Agatha and... Valentino? Yes. Yeah. And uh, I couldn't help myself, and I bought a pound of mortadella. And so when good. I got home, I ate it. Did you just eat it straight or a little, like, focaccia or anything? Or how'd you, what'd you eat No, it? just straight. Right. See, dietary concerns. Yeah. Staying away from those carbs. Well, you're a healthy guy. Yeah, well, I try yeah. to be. Yeah. For sure. Bloomberg or Giuliani? Bloomberg. I have a... Uh, great deal of respect for him. He was a good mayor. Last question. I don't even know why I'm going to bother asking this, but we ask it every week. Olive oil or butter? Both are very important. <laughs> and you need both if you're going to cook. I, come on, the Italian-American in you, you got to say olive oil, don't you? What makes you think they don't have butter in Italy? <laughs> well, in the North they do. Uh, Less so in the South. Uh, yeah, but they got it. <laughs> they got it. <laughs> They're both of critical importance to Italian cuisine and many other genres of cuisine. You got that right. All right, Frankie Pellegrino Jr., thank you so much. A real pleasure, Adam. It's an honor and pleasure to be here with you. All right, that was Frankie Pellegrino from Rayo's in East Harlem, New York. And now here is Claire Saffitz talking BA's best eggplant parm. So, Claire, I have never made eggplant parm before. Well, are you going to start now? I, I might need – well, I definitely need some coaching. I might need some coaxing. Also, it, it always has struck me as such like a project. It is. It is. I, I think the first thing I'll be very – I'll be the first one to say, this recipe is kind of a pain to make. And, and when <laughs> I was making it in the test kitchen where it's like we have this big, beautiful kitchen and we have a dishwasher, it's like I was cursing this recipe every time I made it because it's a lot of work. But, but it's worth it. If you if you like eggplant, it's totally worth it. Um, so explain it to me, because is there an easy way to do eggplant parm, or is it just by, by nature a, a, an undertaking? I th by it, the very nature of the recipe is that it's a process and that there's many different steps, and then they all have to come together in the end. And there's no really great shortcuts, I think, for any of it, all right. so unfortunately. It all, with eggplant, it always seems to start with the salting of the eggplant. Do you have to salt eggplant? What's that no, all about? you do not. So there's a couple myths about salting eggplant. The thing that I've always heard is that you salt eggplant to remove the bitterness. But, like, when's the last time you ate eggplant and was like, oh, man, it's so bitter, this eggplant. It's like that's never. not— Never. Never, right. Never. It's like it's been bred out— I think maybe at one point eggplant was bitter and it's kind of been bred out of the plant. Like if you grew up in like Napoli in yeah, like the right, 1800s. In, right, exactly. So the salting actually has nothing to do with bitterness. It's really in this case to draw out moisture. So we do salt the eggplant, but it's more just like seasoning the eggplant ahead. You don't have to rinse the eggplant. Oh, and this is okay. just to begin to draw out the liquid. So are you doing it like on a rack or something? So it drips or is it just like on a sheet tray? Or Yeah, this recipe requires, we didn't put it in the ingredients list, but it requires like a whole roll of paper towel because you're basically pressing them in layers between paper towel to absorb the water. <laughs> so you're cutting, I, but I, actually I want to back up and say that first is the, I think the first thing that's notable first, about first this you have to recipe. Grow, you have to grow the eggplant. You have to grow the eggplant yourself, exactly. Start early. Start in June. Yeah. Um, 
but we're actually cutting the eggplant in it in planks lengthwise rather than yes. cutting it crosswise into rounds. Mm. And this is nice because it kind of makes it easier to shingle the eggplant in the dish at the end. And also you get fewer slices per eggplant. And yep. it's nice because you're actually then fry, like breading and frying fewer pieces. Uh, like you get more more eggplant per slice. Okay. So I like the breading and frying part. That get that piques my interest. Okay. Um First of all, how thick or thin are you slicing the eggplant? Yeah, we debated this a lot and tried it a couple different ways. I actually like certain kinds of eggplant parm you get. Like I see it a lot in restaurants like Frankie's in Brooklyn where it's like really thinly sliced. Mm -hmm. But then it's not breaded. It's like if you have breading, you think you you need to cut the slices pretty thick. So we went with about a half inch thick slice. Okay. So it's not just all breading. And then... Bread, are you doing it like a chicken cutlet where you do like flour, egg, breadcrumbs or what's yes. the process? Yeah. Yes. So it's a three-part breading. So first you're flouring the slices to, um, and you already salted them so it yep. started to draw out the water. Uh, then you're dipping it in beaten egg and then seasoned breadcrumbs. And we're using panko? We're using panko. I tried it with the like regular old seasoned Italian breadcrumbs yeah. you get in the grocery store. And panko is just such a high-quality product. Um, but it's not just panko. It's panko that you blitz in the food processor first, which is very important, I learned. Why? When you do it with only panko, it's like you need the panko to be finer so that it creates a very, like, even coating with no gaps in the eggplant. Fascinating. Otherwise, the eggplant absorbs so much oil, it gets greasy. Eggplant is like a huge sponge, and if you don't have a, like, super solid layer of breading without gaps, it'll just absorb all the oil you're frying. And then you're frying each of those individually in a pan of olive oil? Yes. So we, yes, frying in olive oil, also very important for flavor. Um, We're using a large skillet. I had a large cast iron, like a Mm 12-inch cast iron, which works really well and gets it really crispy. Um, But any large skillet, stainless is fine. Um, And and then you're doing that in, um, you have to do that in batches because you obviously can't fit all the eggplant at once. So you're adding more oil. Like a half gallon of oil ultimately. (laughs) It's not that much. You're not deep frying. You're not really even shallow frying. You're kind of just pan frying. So you have a little bit of oil in the skillet um, and then you're adding more as you add more slices. It's more than a little bit. You just just said how much (laughs) eggplants absorb. A lot, right. And also the other important thing is, I mean, if you're frying at the right temperature, you're 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 creating like this solid, um, like fried layer of the breading. So your the eggplant yeah. hopefully isn't absorbing a lot. But another important thing is to blot the eggplant or to drain it on paper towels after it's fried. Why not just put it on like a cookie rack, a cooling rack, so it can sort of drip dry? I tried that. It doesn't really drip. The the one time mm, I didn't do it on paper towels, mm-hmm. it the breading retained so much oil that when you baked the final thing, there was like it was like pooling. Oh, the oil was pooling. That's so interesting. It was a little okay. too greasy. So you want the paper towels? Then what what are we doing next? So actually, you have ready then your marinara sauce, which hopefully you made already. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, you can make it the day before. It's really easy. How am I making that? So this sauce, the important thing with the tomato sauce is that it's not full of water because you just mm. made, went through all this work to fry yeah. really crispy cutlets. The worst thing you can do is put something really watery on it. And so it'll you, just instantly sog out. If, like if you're making a quick tomato sauce from canned San Marzano tomatoes, which are nice, nice and fresh, but there's a lot of water in those cans. Right, so right. So we don't want to do that. Right. So we're using cans of whole, toma- of whole peeled tomatoes, mm. and instead of cooking the sauce on the stove for hours and hours, I actually just threw it in the oven. So you have like a gentle, more ambient heat that's driving all the water off of the tomatoes, and you don't have to sit there and stir it. couple questions. Mm-hmm. Top on or off? Off. Off. Okay, so it does like evaporate. Um, how do you season it? 
This recipe has, it ha- there's a red onion in it. There's some anchovies for flavor, which Adam, you can leave out if, you, if you decide to. Optional. Optional. Right. Um, a lot of salt and pepper. And so we're, we're seasoning the marinara and then seasoning all the other components too, because you want the final yeah. dish to have all these layers of Every flavor. Every element. All right. So you got, you got your sauce that's nice and reduced and not watery. You've got your crispy cutlets, eggplant cutlets. Um, what about the cheese? The cheese, yeah. We debated a couple different um, cheese options. So we went with a mixture of straight up grated parm and the like low moisture, not fresh mozzarella that you get in like the, the plastic the that's more, like wrapped like in plastic. Block. Yeah, you exactly. Not, that you can grate. As much as I love buffalo mozzarella and like the fresh stuff, like that's much more watery than you want, right? Yeah, it's really watery and, and it expensive. has an expensive and like the creamy texture that you get. I think it's best appreciated raw and this mm. this is baked. And yeah. so, um, yeah, you just want that more, that like less lower moisture, low water content cheese. Okay, so you, get, you have all your components. And now is it just a matter of layering everything? Or? Yes. So the cheese is grated and it's mixed with some chopped herbs. It's chopped parsley and basil mm-hmm. for like a little bit of a fresh kind of flavor. Yeah. Um, right. So you have your components all laid out and you start to layer like you're making a lasagna in a in a shallow baking dish. Um, sauce first. A little then, bit of sauce first. Yeah. To coat. Then eggplant. Mm-hmm. Then the mixed cheeses. Then sauce, more sauce on eggplant. Oh, and then cheese? And then cheese, And then yeah. you just keep repeating. And then repeat, exactly. So you get to the top. It's nice when yeah. you have a nice high-sided casserole dish. So yeah. Like, a lasagna pan works really well. If yeah. you only have a 13 by 9 that only has like two-inch sides, that's okay. I will also say this. Um, you know, this is a lot of steps, but you know what also is a lot of steps? Lasagna bolognese. Um, Arguably more. And and that is like one of the best things you will ever make in your life. And after you're done making it, you're like, wow, that was a pain in the ass. But you're like, man, that is good. Right. Um, right. So this is, I guess, it, it, well, my, this is also an interesting question. Like, do, do you think of eggplant parm as a vegetarian dish? Absolutely. But do you think of it that way or do you think of it as a delicious dish? You know what I mean? I think of it as a delicious dish that I can serve my vegetarian friends, yes. I guess. So like on that, like, yeah. So but it's, it's like, I, I don't think about it. I guess to answer your question, it's like my first thought is like, it, it's just first and foremost a great dish that I want to eat. Yeah. Um, and it's not like, oh, I don't, it's not like my go-to vegetarian thing, really. Um, like lasagna, I think a key step, a key move in making eggplant parm um, is what you do with it after it comes out of the oven. Like you yes. can't just cut oh, into yes. it right away. Yes. Brad Leone, our test kitchen manager, he was the one that kind of schooled me on eggplant parm because this was not a dish that was part of my like Brad, experience growing up. Brad has some opinions. Yes. Nice. Especially about eggplant parm. <laughs> nice Italian boy from Jersey. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he... Like would have rather he would have like thrown himself off a cliff rather than cut into a hot eggplant parm straight out of the oven. So how long do you want like to wait? I would say several hours. I mean, first of all, wait, when, what? When at Did least you say several hours? Okay, so ideally, let me back up. That's Sorry, crazy Adam. talk. Well, ideally, it's overnight. Wait, all right. What? What? What do you? What? I, okay, what are well, you talking first, about? Okay. Well, first, when that thing comes out of the oven, yeah. I should also say that like we finish it on top, so you you cover it and bake it. You mm-hmm. bake it a pretty long time, so that the eggplant gets really yeah. custardy. Yeah. Because this dish is all about the eggplant. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it comes out. You uncover it, it. Wait, you can't say it's all about the eggplant when you also load it with cheese and sauce. But this recipe, I think that's what gives eggplant parm a bad rap is that it's like, oh, it's just breading. Like you could bread anything and layer it into this dish, and it would taste great. I so mean, like that's who cares about eggplant? True. It's kind of true, but like you don't only. It should be about the eggplant, and so that's why we have a lot of layers and we cut the eggplant pretty thick because okay. you want to taste right. like silky, delicious it, it custardy re- eggplant. It retains its integrity. It does. All right, so you got um, this molten 
brick of eggplant parm bubbling away. Yes. I mean, it's like thermonuclear you- hot. Um, you cannot eat it when it comes out of the oven. Yeah. It's so hot. Everything in there is like just yeah. like molten lava. Bubbling. Yeah. So you have to let it set up for at least a couple hours. But ideally overnight. That's because- insane. Why You're saying one hour is not enough for setting? One hour is probably enough. But I, but I think By a window, open the window, you know, kind right. of like, like you let a pie cool off, sort of. Thing. Right, right. You can't exactly same same principle. But I think if you want to get the kind of really defined layers that you get when you cut into it that we have, like in the photo in the Perfectly magazine, square. You, like, you yeah. see, it's it's almost yeah. like those when you see like the uh, the layers of the Earth from like the Mesozoic era exactly. or whatever, right. you know, right. like, when you're it's at the Natural the History Museum. Core. Yeah, right. um, you have to let it set up, and that happens. I think that's best done by letting it by. Ch- Cooling it off, chilling it overnight, and then heating it again the next day. Some but, people wait, but that's crazy. So, you have to, but then if you heat it again, then how are you heating it up? Like at what temperature? Just are you back doing in the that? oven, like a low temp, like three hundred, just until it's warm through. Well, how long is that? I don't know. For, it'd be a while, half an hour maybe. But why could you? Or you can make it as done at four p.m. Dinners at six p.m. Yeah, on yeah. a Sunday. You're yeah, probably yeah. okay. You're fine. You know. Yeah, I think Bradleyoni would say. He would rather just eat it cold. It's a bit a dish oh, best served cold. <laughs> no, that's not that's not true, really. I mean, I don't necessarily I don't agree with that. But I do but there is something to be I think the flavors have a chance overnight to really kind of like meld and marry and it does taste a little better the next day. Um what would you serve this with? I would serve this with a really acidic, nice salad, like with tender lettuces. Um, and that's really Did you just it. say tender lettuces? Tender lettuces, yeah. <laughs> not like not like a kale salad where like you're just yeah. like you know, there's so much to chew on. What like if butter I wa- lettuce? Okay, yeah. I like I can see that. Or I mean what or I mean a romaine is nice. A no, romaine would be great, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. I I would like something a little crispy to yes. go with the, the to to complement the custardy moltenness. Of yes. The, of the egg Agreed. Plant, you know? Agreed. Something acidic to cut through all the richness and think a little like fresh watery crunch what, would be what, nice. What if I went with like one of those sort of like fennel and citrus salads with some fresh herbs? That might I be think nice. That would be delicious. And fennel would go great with the flavors. Citrus I would stay away from. I would go with lemon. I wouldn't do mm. necessarily orange or like because, grapefruit. Because why? Think, I don't think the flavors would compete. I don't know if Interesting. It would. Any closing thoughts for the, for the home cook on, on eggplant parm, Claire? I would just say don't expect this to be quick or easy <laughs> and do expect your stove to be covered in bits of breadcrumb and like splattered oil <laughs> and just just try to like have your eye on the prize when you're making it because like you will curse this recipe as you're frying eggplant on your stove and like the, by the fourth batch. Um, but it's worth it, I think. But when you're eating it, your guests will be amazed. Absolutely. Yeah. And also it's a great thing to do. In the like, you know, like we've been experiencing this in New York in September and October. It's like you still see what you think of a summer produce in the market. And like even in late October, you have so much, there's so much eggplant. Yeah. And this is a perfect thing to do that time of year when you want, you're starting to really want those like fall toasty flavors, but you have all this eggplant around. And it's, it's, I mean, it's a great dish. All right. Check out our recipe for BA's best eggplant in the October issue of Bon Appetit or on bonappetit.com. Claire Sappas, thanks so much for this. Thanks, Adam. This podcast has been brought to you by Carrie Polis, Emma Wurtzman, and Lily Sherman, with editing by Mitra Kaboli. Our theme music is by Valerie and the Grady's. We have new episodes every Wednesday, 
And if you want to tell us about this or any episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Plus, we're now offering online cooking classes with Sir Latab that feature our recipes. Sign up at bonappetit.com slash cooking classes and learn how to make everything from pork chops to molten chocolate cake. Thanks for listening. Thank you.